we're on our way up here, I was telling Brother Marco, I said, man, uh, Brother Aaron, the, guy, the music man there, uh, he, his music program there is like any, nothing I've ever seen before. Is that true? Uh, I, tell you, I, I tell you what, uh, it is amazing. And uh, Brother Marco said, well, at least the music will be good tonight. And so, uh, anyway, uh, so anyway, we've gone through the good part, and now we're going to this part. But hopefully, uh, the Lord will be with you and help you bear it all. I do bring you greetings from Dr. Paige Patterson and the Board of Trustees, the students, the faculty of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Anybody ever heard of that school before? All right, many of you, and some of you have been there. Uh, some exciting things that are going on. How many of y'all have ever heard of the name Lottie Moon? Lottie Moon Christmas? Anybody? Almost everybody. You know, we've been trying to pay that lady off for too many years, haven't we? <laughs> and uh, Dr. Patterson finally has got a way where we're going to finally pay her off. And uh, what he's done is, we actually came across the Chinese government. We're, we're going to demolish the homestead, the, the, the home of Lottie Moon when she was in Wuchow, China. They were just going to just decimate it. We got in there. We were able to get, get the permits. We took that house out. We shipped it across on a ship, and we have it there. And it's going to be put up in our brand-new building, Mathena Hall. It's going to open in two weeks. They're still trying to get the house together, so it's not up yet. But it will be in the next month or so. And you're going to be able to see the house that Lottie Moon lived in when she ministered in China. And uh, so that's going to be a great thing, a historical thing to see. And in order to pay her off, there's going to be boxes on either side of that house where you can give money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And one day, Dr. Patterson is convinced we're going to pay her off. And so you come when you're in Fort Worth, you come by and see the house that Lottie lived in. And you come by and see the wonderful things that you give and that you help support through your giving of the cooperative program. So thank you so much for that. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word or a tablet or a phone. And if you do, if you would find in your Bible, your tablet, your phone, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And tonight I want us to look at Mark chapter 10, begin reading in verse number 17. Mark chapter 10, begin reading in verse number 17. And the title of my message tonight is Unfollow. Unfollow. Follow. Back in March, I was pre preaching a revival meeting up in Indiana. And when I was up there, I was uh, looking on the internet at some articles, and I was amazed to see that every year, I don't know if you know this or not, but every year, the dictionaries, the Oxford Dictionary, dictionary.com, all of the dictionaries go through a review process to see what new words need to be added to the dictionary. Did you know that? Every year, they come out. And this year, I was amazed to see how many ways that social media has affected the way that we talk in the language that we use. For example, this year they added to dictionary.com as an official English word, this word, friendversary. Does anybody know what a friendversary is? Uh, yeah, you're shaking your head. Some of you don't. There's an, a, a book, a, a thing that is called Facebook online. And it's a social media platform. And you can connect with people you know. And a friendversary is how long you have been connected on Facebook with that person. Seven years, eight years, four years, whatever it might be. And you see two pictures and you kind of celebrate the friendversary. But even beyond that, imagine this. For all of history of the English language... The word friend has always been a noun or a verb. You are my friend. A noun, right? Y'all know what a noun is? Okay, a noun. Okay, make sure you're awake. 
I am. But now with Facebook, now how do you connect with somebody on Facebook? You have to what them? Friend them. So guess what? Friend is no longer just a noun. Friend is also a verb. Isn't that amazing? And then with this, I'll just tell you this. The greatest invention known to man was what? Amen, brother. Amen. I'm your amen corner tonight. Air conditioning. That's right. But the second greatest invention known to man. The second greatest invention known to man is this little feature they've done on Facebook. And some of you, you're gonna, even if you don't like the sermon, you're going to thank me for this. Do you all have anybody on Facebook that you're friends with? That they have different views on politics? Or they have different views on religion that you do? Can I get a witness, anybody? I tell you what, there's this one lady, she lives in North Carolina, and she's my friend on Facebook. And anything I believe about politics, she believes the exact opposite. Anything I believe about religion, she's the exact opposite. And I'm just telling you what, um, I've had to repent every time I go on Facebook and see her stuff. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I write out these diatribes to reply to her, and then the Holy Spirit says, why are you doing that? You've just wasted your time. So I just delete it, you know. Well, Facebook has come out with a new feature. It's not too, too new, but it's kind of new, called the unfollow button. Let me tell you what this is. If there's anybody like that in your list of friends on Facebook, you just go to their page, and there you'll see friends. You can unfriend them. But there's a thing that says follow. That means anytime they post something, it's going to come up on your wall. But if you click on that follow button and you go down, you can click a button that says unfollow. And let me tell you, bless the Lord, it's the second greatest invention known to man after air conditioning. I don't have to see anything that she says about politics or religion, okay? And so, unfollow. In our text tonight, we're going to see a real-life account in the life of our Lord Jesus, and we're going to see how a rich, young ruler had an opportunity in a spiritual kind of sense to click the follow or the unfollow button as it relates to Jesus. And let's see what kind of decision he made. So follow along with me in the text. Mark chapter 10, begin reading in verse 17. The Bible says, Now as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, make sure to pay attention there, Good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have had, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross. Follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I don't know if you noticed it as we read in the text, but as we look 
at the response of the rich young ruler to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see three lessons, three determining factors, three ways that everyone here, whether you're a religious person or not, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're old or young, everyone can discern who they think Jesus is and what they think it means to follow him. And the way you can discern that is in three ways. The same way the rich young ruler discerned who he thought Jesus was and what it meant to follow Jesus. Who you think Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him can be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to say, what you're willing or unwilling to do, and what you're willing or unwilling to surrender. Look at what the Bible says here in the text. The Bible says, now Jesus, as he was going out on the road... He had just been approached by a number of parents who had brought their children to be seen by Jesus, to be held by Jesus, and to be blessed by Jesus. And yet his disciples tried to keep them from bringing the children unto Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said? Don't forbid the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And it's after that episode that Jesus is getting ready to go out on the road on a long journey. And the Bible says that one came running and knelt down before him. This one that comes and runs after Jesus and kneels down before Jesus is actually referred to in some of the other gospel accounts as the rich young ruler. And what's amazing here is that we don't see anybody doing a lot of this in the text, in the text of Scripture. You see, Jews in that day, they would not bow down to a man. That's why, last time I was here, I preached from Acts chapter 18, and you'll probably remember me saying that one of the reasons that the Jews were kicked out of Rome, so though Priscilla and Aquila, they were kicked out of Rome to meet with Paul in Corinth, the reason why they were was because Jews believed in how many gods? One God, right, just like you do. They believed in one God. The Jews and Christians believed in one God. The Romans, though, they believed in multiple false gods. Zeus. Hermes, uh, Mars, Aphrodite, and all the rest. And they believed that the emperor, their leader, was a god. So when their leader would come walking through, parading his way through, and marching through town, the Jews and the Christians would not bow down to him because although the Romans thought he was a god, but he wasn't, they thought only God is God, and they wouldn't bow down. So the fact that this man would bow down before Jesus is pretty extraordinary in and of itself. But what's really extraordinary is his question. Because the man asked Jesus the most important question anybody here can ask of God. Whether you're here, 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 all of you, the most important question that you or I can ever ask God is the one that he did. Look at what he says. Good Teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? What is it, Lord, that I can 
do in order to have life here on earth, have peace in my heart when the storms of life come, but where is it that I can have assurance that when I die, I will also live forever in peace and harmony in a place called heaven? What must I do to have the kind of life that you speak of, Jesus? That's the most important question anyone here could ask. And as we're going to see, we're going to see exactly what the answer to that question is. But I want you to watch, I want you to watch and pay close attention to how he addresses Jesus. He says, good teacher. Now, some of you maybe don't want to write in your Bibles because you want to respect your Bible, but tonight you have a holy dispensation from the Lord to write or circle in your Bible, okay? So if you're somebody who does that, just circle those words, underline those words, highlight those words, good teacher. He comes and he calls Jesus a good teacher. Even today, 2,000 years after this episode, there's a lot of people, even that are not Christians, who will say that Jesus was a pretty good teacher, right? I mean, you know some of these people who think Jesus was a good moral teacher. The man comes and he says to Jesus, Good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Now, as many of you know, I'm an evangelism professor. So I expect if I don't go any further and I wonder, okay, what does Jesus respond here? I don't know about you, but I would expect Jesus to say something like the Roman road. Do y'all know what the Roman road is? Anybody? Raise your hand if you know it. Okay, some, not all. Do any of y'all know the ABCs of Christianity? Admit, believe, and confess? Okay. I expect him to say something like this. Oh, you want to know how to inherit eternal life? The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for, the, uh, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.9, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. What does it say? You will be saved. Thy will be saved. Now, isn't that what you expect Jesus to say to this guy? Something like that? That's exactly what I expect him to say. But doesn't Jesus respond to this guy in the most peculiar of ways? Jesus doesn't give him the ABCs of Christianity. He doesn't give him the four spiritual laws. He doesn't give him the Romans road. Look at what he says. Why do you call me Good. You remember he called him good. What did he call him? Good what? Teacher. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. In this statement, Jesus is echoing all of the Old Testament. Whether you were to look in Ezra 3.11, Psalm 118.1, Psalm 145.9, 1 Chronicles 16.34, and a whole host of other places, the Bible says this, Give thanks to the Lord. Help me out. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. God is the source of all goodness. God himself is good. He is not evil. So Jesus is saying, why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Now, there's two things that Jesus could mean by this. Maybe Jesus means, why are you calling me God? Because I'm not God. 
He may be saying that, some people may posit, but that's not what he says because we all know that Jesus is God, right? So if it's not that, why are you calling me God? There's only one good and that's God and it's not me. If that's not what he's saying and it's not, then what is he saying to the rich young ruler? He's saying, are, am I good enough for you to call me God? Are you willing with your mouth to confess that I am God? You know, there's a number, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but there's a number in our convention today that talk about and actually rail against what's been historically known as the sinner's prayer. They say you're not supposed to pray and God will just save you subconsciously in some way and you shouldn't use a sinner's prayer. That's just a modern evangelistic tactic. But I'll just tell you this. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, you all heard it, that if you will confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. If you look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right at the beginning of the tongues issue, he says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And actually, Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, that one day every knee will bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those on under the earth, and every tongue will confess what? Jesus is Lord. You know what that means? You're saying Jesus is God. That's the biblical sinner's prayer, to confess Jesus as Lord. So you can believe whatever you want to, but the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so it is important in what we say about Jesus, but not just say, anybody can say the words and not even believe it, Jesus is Lord. But if you say it and mean it, it can only be by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This man was given an opportunity to follow Jesus by what he said. But look at how he responded. You got your Bibles? Look at here in verse 20. And he, the rich young ruler, answered and said to him what? Teacher. What did he leave off this time? Good. You see, he left that off intentionally. He was unwilling to say that Jesus was more than a teacher. He was not willing to say Jesus was Lord. Who is it that you think Jesus is? What is it that you think it means to follow him? It can be determined in what you're willing or unwilling to say. I wonder if you're here tonight, and some of you have been here tonight, and, and maybe as a small child, you prayed a sinner's prayer, and thank God for sinner's prayers. But you may have said the words, and you put your faith in the words, not in the God about whom the words were speaking. Now, I'm not here to make anybody doubt their salvation. But friends, if you, did not, if you were not prompted by the Holy Spirit when you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, to say Jesus is Lord, all you said were mere words. Some of you are here and you know you've been called on to confess Jesus is Lord and you've been unwilling to say that. You're, you're okay to say Jesus is good, but you're not willing to say Jesus is God. Friends, tonight I want to call you to do what the Bible says. And to see Jesus for not who someone else thinks he is, but who he himself thinks he is. And who those of us who believe in him know him to be. Jesus isn't just good. Jesus is God. And I wonder, are you here tonight? Willing 
to surrender with your tongue to confess Jesus is Lord and to mean it. And if he, you mean it, you're not just saying, hey, Jesus is going to be my boss. I know what, ma'am, I know what you think of your boss. You know, we don't, Jesus is not a boss. Jesus is God. So who you think Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him, this man thought he was a teacher and he was just going to follow his teachings. But Jesus said, no, it's a lot different. I am God. Are you willing to say so? Are you willing to say so tonight? You see, who Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him can be determined in what you're willing or unwilling to say, but also in what you're willing or unwilling to do. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus goes on in verse 19. You know the commandments. What commandments is he talking? What do we refer to these commandments as? The what? The Ten Commandments. Okay, you're right. Here we go. Do not commit adultery. What does that mean? Well, we've got a lot of different ages here tonight. Let me just say this. It is complete and total intimacy with your husband or wife, your spouse, alone. That means physically you are only being intimate with your spouse. But it's more than just that. It's also emotionally. You know, some of you go to work with someone of the opposite sex and you're telling them things you'd never tell your spouse. Watch out. Jesus would say you're stepping into almost adultery. If you're trying to share things that you shouldn't be sharing with your, someone else other than your spouse. Some of you are looking at things on tablets and computers when you think no one else is looking. But I want you to know something. God's looking and you're stepping towards what Jesus says is adultery. Do not commit adultery. Some of you are here tonight and you know you've not been as faithful to your spouse as you need to. Maybe tonight you need to take your spouse by the hand. You need to come to this altar and confess your sin and commit yourself once again. Renew those vows and that covenant that you made with the Lord Jesus Christ and with your spouse tonight. Do not commit adultery. He goes on to say, don't murder. What does this mean? Don't take someone's life. Don't take someone's life. But it's more than just that. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you hate your brother, you've committed what? Murder. In the heart. So you're not to take the life of someone else or wish their life was taken for that matter. He goes on and says, do not steal. Don't take something that's not yours. He also says, do not bear false witness. Now, you're not supposed to lie, but this is more than just lying. This is a particular kind of lie. So don't lie. Don't go out there saying, I said you could lie. You can't lie. But when you bear false witness, this is what that means. That means you're saying that someone did something they did not do. Or you're saying someone did not do something that they did. In other words, if you're caught up on the stand before the judge, you're going to say what someone did or did not do is actually what they did or did not do. You're not going to bear false witness against them. So don't bear false witness, he says. Oh, and then he comes to this one. Do not defraud. Commentators are really in between what this really means. Some people think he's referring to his new commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. But I'm of the school that believes that this is another way of Jesus rewording the 10th commandment. Do not covet. Don't wish, what you had. Don't wish you had what your neighbor has because you'll try to cheat him out of it. So don't defraud. And then here it goes. Honor your father and your mother. Now, especially to the students here and to the adults too, but especially to the students that are here today, I want you to hear me on this. 
Here in this particular area of Scripture, it's not saying to obey your parents. Now, don't amen me yet, because it does say in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So you do have to obey your parents, so don't amen me on that. But this is different than just obeying. That's a given. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? All right, here you go. Here's what it means. When I grew up, I, I was a, a kid, boy, firstborn, loved my parents. My parents loved me. I really thought my parents had me because they wanted to have a child until I got to the age of taking the trash out. And then I realized exactly why my parents had me. Because anytime the trash needed to be taken out, they said, Mac, take the trash out. Well, I hated the trash. I obeyed my parents. I went and I slung out that bag from the trash can and everything went in. You know what I'm talking about? And I tied it up and I huffed and puffed and I opened up the door and I went out and I slammed the door behind me and I threw it and took it down to the end of the road and I came back up and I slammed the door again and I huffed and puffed right past them and went back to my room to play video games. Now, let me ask you a question. Did I obey my parents? Yes, I took the trash out. But did I honor my parents? No. You see, there's a kind of obedience that does not honor. So if you're a student here, let me just say to you, the Bible says, and these are Jesus' words too, by the way. All of God's word is Jesus' words, okay? But especially he's reiterating, students, honor your parents. Honor your parents. So here we go. These are called, y'all said the Ten Commandments, right? Now, I'm really not good at math. I'm an evangelist. We like to, you know, be fast and loose with the numbers sometimes. But I want you to help me out. Some of you don't talk during church. Tonight, I'm giving you permission. Is it okay for me to give him permission? Tonight, Pastor Charles said, special dispensation. You can count out with me. Help, help me count these, okay? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Wait a minute, y'all said Ten Commandments. There's four missing. Did Jesus not know the other four? Did he forget the other four? Well, what's going on here? What, what's the reason? Why does he leave the four? Well, we'll see in just a moment. Look, the, the man says in verse 20, He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things. What things? These things. How many things? Six things. All these things I have kept from my youth. He said, ever since I became a son of the covenant, I had my bar mitzvah, I have kept these six commandments. You see, Jesus was God. Because Jesus knew that that man had kept all six of those commandments. But you know what? He knew that the man had a problem with the other four commandments. Those six commandments that we just read, all of those dealt with the relationship between man and man, woman and man, people, the horizontal relationships. He was a good old boy, as we call him out in the country. But you know what those four other four relate to? Not man and man, woman and man. They relate to what? Man and God. See, he's focusing on God again. What are those commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven image and worship it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you shall honor, respect, or revere. You'll keep the Sabbath day. Keep it holy because the Lord your God rested on the seventh day. 
You see, this man had it all together when it related to relations with other people. But he did not have it right when it related to God. Some of you have read this about all the good things this man did. And you said, boy, this list commends the rich young ruler. I used to think that. But friends, when you look at the four he left out, this list doesn't commend the rich young ruler. This list condemns the rich young ruler. You see, he says, oh, I've done all those things. He also acknowledges in doing all those things that he has not done the other four. And see, friends, that's where it all comes down with you. Who you think Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him can be determined in what you're saying. Is he God? But what you will do or not do, are you going to do for him as God? Are you going to focus on the relationship that you have with God? Some of you... If anybody was to ask you, they'd say, yeah, that's the best guy. He'll give his shirt off his back for you. He'll do anything in the world for you. But let me ask you a question. Would you do anything in the world for God? Instead of just using God's name and just saying his name with no meaning, would you respect his name and only call out his name when you're telling other people about him or you're talking to him? Are you worshiping other gods? Are you making things with your hands that you're worshiping and you're looking back and you're putting all of your focus and attention into? Who you think Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him can be determined what you're willing to do or not do. What you're willing to say or not say. And finally, and then we're done, what you're willing to surrender or not surrender. The Bible says in verse 21, Then Jesus, looking at him... Loved him. I'm convinced that there's at least one person, and maybe more, tonight that are you're, you're feeling. Maybe you're, you're you're sweating. Maybe you've got goosebumps. Maybe you're feeling a little guilty right now. Maybe you got some something in the pit of your stomach, and, and you say, "I've never felt like this before." What is this? That's the Holy Spirit telling you about your need to get right with God. Some of you are here like that, and you're hearing this, the things that you've not said to God, the things you've not done for God, and you just think, man, I'm just a failure. God doesn't want to save me. And I think that's why this verse is in here. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. To those of you here tonight that you think you've gone too far, you've gone too long without saying Jesus is Lord, without following him as your Lord, and you say... God didn't want anything to do with me. I've wasted more of my life than I can give to him in the rest of my life. Jesus is looking down from heaven right now at you. He sees you and he loves you. He loves you. And he gives you one last opportunity. In the past, you've not been willing to say it. In the past, you've not been willing to do it. But tonight, are you willing to surrender it? And he says to him, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Here we are at the end. He says to him, Son, it's not that you don't have a God to worship. It's that you have the wrong God you're worshiping. For him, he was worshiping his possessions. I'm not here tonight to tell you that you have to go sell everything you have, give it to the poor in order for you to be saved. For some of you, if that is your God, then yes, you need to do that. If Jesus is calling you to do that. But for some of you, it's your reputation. 
For some of you, it's your health. For some of you, it's a relationship. For some of you, it's a job. Whatever it might be, you're putting something in place of God. And it's not that you don't have a God. It's that you have the wrong God. And Jesus is saying, will you surrender what you're worshiping? Get rid of it so you can't go and pick it back up. That's why you have to sell it and give it to the poor. And will you come take up the cross and what? Follow me. See, Jesus explains who he is. He's God. And he explains what it means to follow him. To follow Jesus, you got to surrender everything to him and come follow him. This young man having the opportunity to click, spiritually speaking, the follow or the unfollow button. You know what he does? He clicks the unfollow button. Verse 22, and he was sad at his word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There are some of you here tonight that you've never said with your mouth and meant it, prompted by the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus is Lord. Tonight, I want to call you to come and speak with a counselor, speak with me, speak with a pastor, someone, so we can help you know that tonight you can be right with God. Some of you have been living your life for yourself and you've been living just enough of the commandments that you think you're okay. But friends, there's not just six, there's ten. And the other ones deal with what your relationship is with God. Some of you need to come and do business with God tonight. And then finally, some of you, you have a God. It's not that you don't have a God, you have a God, you've just got the wrong God. And tonight on this altar, you need to surrender your false God to the only one true God who is Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, the Bible says you must first of all admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're not as good as you think you are, other people think you are. You're a sinner for whom Jesus died. And that Jesus was God's expression of love. The Bible says God loved the world in this way. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You must believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Taking in his body on the tree the wrath of God against your sins. He took the penalty for sin which is death. And he died and was put in the grave. And on the third day, by resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says that if you will turn away from your sin, believe in that truth, Christ died, Christ buried, Christ risen. And then if with your mouth you'll confess him as Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. I wonder if you want that tonight. We invite you to come. Some of you say, well, I just don't know if I can do that. Look at what Jesus says, and then we're done. Then Jesus, looking around, he saw his disciples, verse 23. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then they're greatly astonished. Because if anybody can get in, it's got to be someone with a lot of possessions. And they said among themselves, well, then who then can be saved? You may ask, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them. Jesus is looking at you tonight. Jesus looked at them and he said, With man, it is impossible. You can't save yourself. 
You can't say Jesus is Lord by yourself. You can't do what's expected and required of you by yourself. You can't surrender your false gods by yourself. With men, it's impossible. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. Friends, there's nothing that God's not been willing to do to bring you into the kingdom of God. Is there anything that you're allowing to keep you from the kingdom of God? Tonight, God's calling you to come. Also, for the saved person, there's nothing God's not been willing to do to bring people in the kingdom. But are you willing to do your part in bringing people into the kingdom of God? When you read that list, you know you're a Christian, maybe. But you know that you've not been fully faithful, maybe mentally or emotionally, to your spouse. And you just said, you know what, I need to come and I need to make a recommitment to my spouse and to the Lord tonight. Maybe you've been taking things you shouldn't be taking. Maybe you've been saying things about people you shouldn't. Students, maybe you've not been honoring your parents the way you should. Maybe you just need to come to this altar and say, you know what, because I know who Jesus is. And I know what it means to follow him. I'm going to get right with the Lord tonight. I wonder tonight, would you come? I'm going to ask Brother Aaron and the musicians to go ahead and make their way to the front. Pastor Charles, any counselors that may be coming, you go ahead and make your way to the front as well. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. And as soon as we begin singing, if you feel like there's a decision that you need to make, let me just tell you something. Bad people do not come to the altar. You're going to see your pastor down here in just a moment. Is he a bad person? No. Good people can come to the altar. And I want you just to come to the altar if God's spoken to your heart tonight. Someone will be here to pray with you. You can pray by yourself. But tonight, don't go out of these doors like the rich young ruler, sad at the saying of Jesus. We want you to have joy. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that tonight, every one of us in a spiritual sense has an opportunity to either follow or to unfollow you. Father, I pray that those of us that have followed you, if there's some area in our life where we've not been following as closely, Lord, that we would take care of that tonight. Lord, there's others that are here that they've never followed you. All their life, they've unfollowed you. They've not liked what you've said about politics, the kingdom of God. They've not liked what you've said about religion, that you're the only way. But tonight, the Holy Spirit has helped them understand that they need to make you their Lord. Would you give them the courage to come? Would you work in this time? It's in Jesus' name I pray.